God is so powerfully at work. This is what faithful people celebrate. God is always doing new things. God is real and present and active in our midst. Our lives are always lived in the presence of God toward God's purposes, about God's business, trusting God's steadfast love and care. This is what faithful people celebrate. Our lives belong to God. We strive to serve God all our days. We get a glimpse of this wonderful context of life in the psalm that Knox read, Psalm 150, our first lesson, praise the Lord, praise the Lord in the sanctuary, praise God for his mighty deeds, praise God for his surpassing greatness, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. This kind of praise and posture is what depicts faithful life. The year was 1845. Europe was in a time of peace. It was between the revolutions of 1830 and 1848. James K. Polk was president of the United States. Florida and Texas, two states that have been on our hearts and in our minds because of hurricanes in the recent week had just been admitted to the Union in that year, 1845. Also in 1845, tensions were mounting about Mexico with an increasing possibility of war. Richmond, in 1845, was still a small town. The western border wasn't even at Monroe Park. The area around this location, 5th and Main, was totally residential. Large homes, like the one on the corner here across the street, the Hancock Caskey House, which was built in 1809, large houses like this dominated this area of the city. And it was on this crest of the hill, coming up Main Street, in the middle of this block between uh, Franklin and Maine, that Presbyterians from First Church, which was then located in Church Hill, decided to start another church, Second Church, as the city grew toward the west. After this sanctuary was completed three years later in 1848, one of the Richmond newspapers reported this, and I'm quoting, among the numerous structures that have been recently erected in our city, there is none on which the eye reposes with such pleasure as the beautiful Gothic temple on 5th Street. Brick and stone, a tower that rises to the height of 100 feet, the exceeding harmony and flowing grace of the space, after having seen the purest Gothic churches in America, we can say that we have met with no specimen of this style of architecture at all superior to it in design or execution. End quote. 
The work in this sacred sanctuary in the last four months has, as you know, sought to preserve and enhance the beauty and the grace that people have loved about this sanctuary since it was completed in 1848. Since Presbyterians always accent preaching, this pulpit and this expansive reredos behind me here carry the eye and carry the heart right up to the massive hammer beams and the vaulted ceiling. All of this has been carefully cleaned and delicately painted in such a way as to highlight the original character and beauty. Workers in recent months spent hours scrubbing and cleaning decades of dust and grunge from all the woodwork in here. The pile of dirty rags from their efforts could fill a small room. No kidding. Every surface that you can see in this sanctuary has received cleaning and love and care and attention and refreshment. And now that we are back into this wonderful space of worship, it's no surprise, as Ginger noted, that many of you are back into your same pew. <laughs> we're, creatures, we're creatures of habit. But I do know that some people have shifted. Perhaps you are aware that the costs for construction of the original church in 1845 was funded largely by the sale and the rental of pews your pew. The first day after the church was dedicated, the newspaper announced that on Monday evening at 8 o'clock, the members of the church and the public generally were invited to come into the church to look at pews and to select one. (laughs) And then throughout the history of the church, A great deal is made about the price of pews, the income generated from the sale of pews, who owned which pew, how and whether that pew could be transferred to family members, and more. Lots about pews in our history. It was not until 1919, that would be almost 75 years after the dedication, that the congregation moved to an every member canvas, a sort of stewardship campaign, instead of raising income from pew sales and pew rents. Speaking of the pews, the hymn book racks were added in 1902. In recent months, all the racks were taken off and refurbished and returned to. There is one hymn book rack that deserves particular notice. It's made of cast iron. It has the design copied from Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper in it. And the unique rack is where Harlan and Janice McMurray are sitting, the first row under the gallery on the north side, The rack was made special by a man named Mr. Isaac Davenport who rented that first pew from the very beginning and he had this special rack made and then when he died, he passed his special pew and that rack to the man who sat behind him, a man named Mr. Francis Glasgow and it was then passed on to one other person after that. The racks for the individual communion cups have also been refurbished. They were first installed in 1914. I know some of them haven't been installed yet. I learned today on the side. Um, But in 1914, that was the time when the session voted to 
go to the more modern method of serving communion with little cups instead of everybody drinking out of common cup. I know a personal and true story about these particular cup holders in these pews here when a certain man who during the communion prayer stuck his fingers in the pew cups and got them stuck, so stuck that he couldn't get it out and instead of facing the embarrassment of getting help, asking for help, he took out his penknife and unscrewed the cup holder from the pew and put his hand with the cup holder in his coat pocket and then went home to get some soapy liquid to work it off and then he snuck back in the church and put it back on. That's a true story about this church. The cushions and the carpet and the upholstery, as you can tell, has all been redone. These cushions, this carpet, these upholstery on the back of the pews, they've heard so many prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of heartache, prayers of joy, prayers of grief. All the people who've come and gone here have been uh, filled with a sense of God's spirit and presence. The walls all around have been repainted also. This is no small task. Looking at the walls, you might assume that it's made of large stones stacked on each other. But in reality... And since the very beginning in 1845, the blocks are marked on plaster and in imitation of large stones. So this demands an approach to painting where the apparent blocks are painted slightly different colors. And if these walls could speak, if these walls could speak, what would they say? they would undoubtedly echo 170-plus years of faithful hymn singing and special music from our wonderful choir. They would echo insights from passionate sermons and sincere prayers offered in this space. They would echo the heartfelt silence that's been embodied in these pews from devout people seeking to grow in the ways of God. God's Spirit has long been powerfully at work here. So many faithful people have worshipped here. So many faithful lives have been celebrated here. So many important baptisms at this font. Funerals, caskets brought in and out from this uh, center aisle so many tears, so many laughs, so many laments, so many words of thanksgiving. God is always powerfully at work in this space. As you might guess, this church was originally lighted with gas, and in fact, it was the first church in Richmond so lighted. This large chandelier was originally given to this church as a gift of Emma Stewart Gilliam in memory of her husband, Marshall M. Gilliam. It was first installed at the time of the electrification of the church, which would have been in the late, very late 1800s. 
And this chandelier hung in this space for about 60 years before it was taken down and put into storage and then uh, sold or loaned to the University of Richmond, which hung it in Jepson Hall on that campus. And then with the help and the guidance of Steve Allred and his connections at the University of Richmond, we were able to get this historical piece back and bringing light and beauty and grace and adding history again as we seek to shine the light of God's grace as well as we can. The other lighting improvements in this sanctuary emerged from a detailed study some years ago. All the lights, all the fixtures in this sacred space have been changed and upgraded and modernized and replaced while We will continue to adjust to the new lighting. We have safety and we have great versatility for lighting this wonderful space. There were other less visible but important improvements made as well. All the sprinkler heads that you can see in the ceiling had to be replaced and that has been done. The upgrades have been made into the attic. I've been up there. It's pretty cool. Upgrades to the ceiling, upgrades to the crawl space, upgrades to various stained glass windows that needed attention. All that's been done and more. One of the finest and most positive improvements to note today may be the new balcony railing in front of uh, the choir. This new rail is not only secure, it brings so much to our refurbished space for worship. So, with all these wonderful improvements, with all these wonderful upgrades and gratitude to many people who gave time and energy, uh, workers devoted to this project, with all of us seeking to be good stewards and servants of God in this sanctuary, this sanctuary that has served God so well for almost 175 years, we can absolutely say with the psalmist, praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise God for his surpassing greatness. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. But even as we rejoice and praise God for faithful generosity and devoted service to bring this day to fruition, devoted workers and wonderful efforts, caring members bringing all this to this rededication, our word for today is unfinished. Unfinished. We finished a fantastic upgrade for the sacred space, but there is much unfinished. All through the scriptures, beautiful and sacred spaces for worship are very important. There's a lot of detail in the scriptures about building beautiful spaces that glorify God, but worship in the sanctuary and worship in the temple always intends to lead God's people, us included, to devoted service in the world in various seasons and in various ways through the scriptures, we're reminded, we are warned that if faith and life begins and ends in the sanctuary, then we are falling far short of what God intends of us. Worship in the sanctuary, praising God for God's greatness is essential to faithful life, but so is living for God and spreading God's love 
and doing acts of care and compassion and kindness and working for justice and joy for all God's people everywhere. That is essential for life as well. To be the church is to gather for worship in sacred space like this, to connect to God vertically in beautiful and historic places like this. But the church's work is always outward, horizontal, Outward, and that work remains unfinished. It's unfinished until the full reign of God covers the earth. Worship in the sanctuary reminds us that we're created in God's image and that we belong to God, so we sing praises and we open our hearts to God's Spirit and we affirm God's abiding love and steadfast faithfulness, faithfulness no matter what's happening to us or to our nation or to our world, and we celebrate God's goodness every day of life, but then from worship, from the sanctuary, we're called to do God's work of helping and healing and loving and spreading God's light in the world. That's the unfinished work. Listen now for the gospel lesson. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but gather Go gather, rather, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Take no gold, no silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or tunics or sandals or a staff for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who, is, who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet, leave the house and town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than on that town. This is the word of the Lord. The sanctuary is finished. It's beautiful. This is a day to rejoice. Yet our work as God's God's people is unfinished because we still have so much to do. Do the work of the Lord, Jesus calls us. Proclaim the good news. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. The sanctuary is spectacular. We love this place and we give great thanks, but there's so much more loving God and loving God's neighbor that is needed in this community and across our city and across our world. The people kept coming to Jesus and they asked him over and over, how do we find life? How do we find eternal life? And his answer was simple and memorable. Love God. And love your neighbor. He said, follow me. And he loved people. And he helped the hurting. And he healed the sick. And he picked up children. And he spread peace. He always emphasized relationships, caring, sharing, working for reconciliation. He's treated people with dignity and kindness and grace. This is the kingdom of God come near. He embodied it. And he asked us to go and be about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And that work is unfinished. 
We're called to feed the hungry. And we're also called to eliminate poverty. We're called to give drink to the thirsty and address the climate emergencies that are causing the hurricanes, perhaps, this weekend. We're to cure the sick and cover the naked and work for health care for everybody. We're called to welcome the stranger, realizing that we were all strangers once. And that plays out in faithful attention to immigration issues and more. These and others remain pertinent, pressing issues for our life and times. And the work is unfinished. God's work. God's good work of bringing about the kingdom. It's unfinished. So we celebrate today. God is powerfully at work and present. This sacred sanctuary is wonderful. But our work as God's people is to spread light and to promote justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. God is powerfully at work and the sanctuary gives us a sense of of God, connects us to God, yet our work is unfinished. Will our children have faith? This is our work. Will our grandchildren? This is our work. It's unfinished. Will we help people find peace and foundation amidst the swirling issues of our times? There's so many of them. How will it be? What will we say? Our work is unfinished. Will we go from this place today, each one of us, into our personal relationships and into our workplaces and into the other places where we find ourselves? Will we each go and be a minister of Christ? Because that's what the bulletin reminds us. We're all ministers. And our duty is to proclaim the gospel and embody God's presence and work for the inbreaking of the kingdom. It's unfinished. Jesus keeps sending out disciples. That would be us. Our work is unfinished. Eberhard Arnold was a Christian German philosopher. And listen to this quote. Humanity must turn around. What good are all of its religious practices? What good are all its church services? What point is there in all its devout singing if God's will is not done? What does people's faith mean if injustice is done to the poor as casually as one drinks a glass of water? What good is it to profess the divine if not even a little finger is lifted when countless children and poor people are dying? Today we celebrate and rededicate this finished space. We also know our work is unfinished. We're called to be witnesses. As our mission statement reminds us, witnesses to the new reality made available to all people through Jesus Christ. We are to continue to work with our daily commitments, with our devotion together as this church to the inbreaking of God's promise reign of love and light and joy and justice. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray.
We praise you, O Lord. We praise you in this wonderful sanctuary. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Keep calling us afresh, O God, and keep walking with us as we seek to serve you following Jesus in the world. Amen.